Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I'm Lena Ebajemra, your host, and it is awesome to be back with you. It is fall, a new season. I love new beginnings, and it does feel like right after Labor Day, we are on to a new start. Man, we got a busy, busy fall here at Living with Power, and there's been both good things and challenging things, but in all things, we want to give glory to God. Hey, if you're new to our podcast, thank you for checking in. We hope this will help build your walk with Jesus, get to know Jesus if you don't know him. And if you have been here before and have been waiting for a new series, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. I pray that this series is going to bless you. Hey, before we hit it, I'm going to just remind you of a couple of things. If you want to find out about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. Everything you need to know about Living With Power is there. We do work globally with refugees and we do work locally with discipleship and building people like you and me to be stronger in our walk with Jesus and more connected with him. Hey, there's an awesome, awesome thing you need to know. My new book is coming out in four weeks. It is so cool to see that uh, in the horizon, but it's also nerve wracking. Will anyone be interested in it? What I have to say, will anybody buy it? Will anybody be blessed by it? Will anybody like me? And there's just a lot of things that go through an author's mind, but really at the end of the day, we write because we believe that our experiences and my experiences will help you. And so if you've ever struggled with uh, doing things you don't wanna do, with shame over things that you wish you hadn't done, I think this book is gonna be for you. It's called Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This, uh, a Christian Doctor's Thoughts on Sex, Shame, and Other Troublesome Issues. Hey, this book is not about sex. It is about human nature. It's about following desires and wanting something badly. And when you don't get it, how do you respond to it? And why so many of us live lives of addiction. And so, hey, if you know someone who's struggling with these things, or maybe you are that person who, like me, has had a hard time with certain uh, areas in our lives. And so this book may be for you. We'd love for you to find out more about it. We created a website for it. It's at drlinabook.com or just hit up livingwithpower.org, which is our website, and you'll find links to it. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, do so. And for now, let's get right to business. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter two. I hope you all have Bibles. I use the ESV. Sometimes people ask what version of the Bible you use. So that's where I'm reading from. Our series is called The Confidence Series, How to Fully Trust God When I Don't See the Way. And how many of us are living in that space right now? Uh, you, you want confidence, but you just don't see the way. You want stability, but you don't feel our culture is stable right now. It's not. Uh, it's not your feeling. There is a lack of stability. Elections are coming up. The economy's tinking. You know, everywhere you look, people are warning you about how bad things are, and they are bad. Morality is at an all-time low. People are leaving Christianity. Churches are empty. It, it's it's bad, right? The natural disasters were just coming off of Ian, and then there was a and Prince Edward Island popped up in my. I think there was a a, a storm not long ago that destroyed it. There, I mean, they're all over. We work with the Syrian refugees. I mean, we know that there's problems all over, and those problems can be big out there, but they can also be very personal. So I need confidence. I know you need confidence too. And so last week we talked about how we have confidence because God speaks, and we saw how in Hebrews one, God is a God who speaks. Today we're going to look at how we can have confidence. Because because he is in control. He being Jesus, the son of God, God made flesh. And the whole point, remember, of the book of Hebrews is to show the supremacy of Christ. 
That's the take home message is simply put, Jesus is better. Better than who? Better than the, better than everything. Better than the angels was our focus last week. Next week we're going to go into how he's better than Moses. But for now, we're going to ride onto the, the coattails of Jesus is better than angels and jump into chapter two. But just in point of reminder, or if you missed the first teaching, uh, this book was written to a Jewish audience, a Jewish audience that was probably mostly believing, but also had a group of uh, a Jewish uh, people who intellectually believed the gospel message of Jesus, but still were not all in. And then another group that was sort of like, you know, interested, but not really bought into it yet. But, and, and the whole point of, of the Hebrews was to help the Christians, the, pe- the Jewish people who had given their life to Christ, who were sort of being persecuted for their faith and whose faith was shaken. The book of Hebrews was an invitation, an exhortation, a really set of three sermons that was meant to encourage them to be strong in faith, to keep on going. Later in the book, we're going to see these stories of faith and call to perseverance. It's going to strengthen our hearts. But how I'm going to kind of follow the track of the theme through the book is this confidence series. And so today you can be confident because he is in control. I'm going to share four points from the book of Hebrews chapter two. And, and I think the chapters are short enough that we'll make our way through it. Here's how it starts. And this is a pickup from last week, verse one. Therefore, after we had learned in chapter one that Jesus is better than the angels, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We talked last week about that being one of the five dangers that's mentioned in the book of Hebrews, we don't want to drift away. How do you drift away? Well, you do nothing. If you do nothing, you ever been in the water and you just lie down flat on the water, what happens? You drift. Next thing you know, have you ever done that in a lake? It's scary because first you're going like, oh, this is great, a safe area or in the beach. Sometimes if you're ever at the beach, there's sharks in the water. How many of you like to swim in the beach when you know there's sharks in the water? But but we still go in it, right? We hope it's not gonna get us to stay. And I'm always nervous if I have a little cut on my finger because they say it's drawn to blood and I'm always worried about, oh, should I go in the water? What if there's a cut and I'm checking myself? But But you'll float on your back and if you're not careful, Three minutes later, you're like way out in a dangerous place playing with the sharks, right? And so what did we do to get there? Nothing. That's how drifting looks. You, you do nothing. And, and so in Hebrews, there's and even right off the bat in chapter one, going to chapter two, we're told, man, don't do nothing. You got to pay attention. You, you got to lean in. You got to wake up. And, and, and he goes on in verse two, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed uh, uh, according to his will. Now, just a little uh, comment here because we're really gonna jump into now verse five into today's uh, focus. But in chapter one, the entire premise was to declare Jesus as greater than the angels because the Jewish listening audience adored angels. They worshiped angels. They, in fact, if you look at some verses like Galatians 3.19 and Acts chapter 7, verse 38, a little tidbit, uh, the angels are mentioned to be the means of mediating the old covenant. The old covenant was the promise that God made all the way back to Abraham. And, and it was called the Abrahamic covenant where God vowed, gave a covenant to Abraham and said, 
I am going to be your God. And he basically put the onus on him to save Abraham. All Abraham had to do was to follow him. And he promised him that he would have kids as many as the stars in the sky. And that through Abraham would be born eventually the Messiah. And so this promise, this covenant was made not on basis of anything that Abraham would do. It was an unconditional promise. And that, that covenant that was given all the way back in Genesis 12 was carried throughout the Old Testament and renewed over and over again through King David and, and then through the prophets. And you see sort of this covenant referred to again and again. Finally, you get to the book of Jeremiah and it talks about how that old covenant was a setup for the new covenant. The new covenant is what we're living now, which is where we're saved by grace through faith because of Christ alone. And so the angels were actually who mediated the old covenant. It wasn't their idea, it was God's idea, but he used the angels to deliver it to Moses on the mount. And so now, because Jesus is better, the argument he's here in these verses is that, all right, the, if you believe the angels were good enough to mediate the, new, the old covenant, well, the new covenant is even better, and it is mediated by Jesus. And not only did he declare it, he attested, he proved it through all of the signs and the miracles and the wonders. Three years of living, people would say, remember when he made the miracles and the gospels, people would be like, is this, who can forgive but God? Who can still the waters but God? This must be God over and over again. They were able to see that during the life of Jesus. And so again, this compelling just reminder to the Jewish people, like you're not crazy. Jesus is better. He's better than the angels, so much better. And because he's better, he's able to mediate this new covenant that is where God imprints his, his words on our heart. And, and is, it, we now have the ability to have an intimate relationship with God. And through, we're gonna see in the book of Hebrews how in the Old Testament, we had to rely on priests and offerings and sacrifices. And now because of Jesus, we're gonna see how there's a way to have an intimate, close relationship with God the Father through his son Jesus Christ and that is uh, just amazing again an unconditional covenant where we don't have to earn our salvation it is not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us it is because of what he has done he is unconditional in his promise to us but it cost Jesus his life and so we're gonna now build on that so it says in verse 5 for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking we're in Hebrews 2 verse 5 it has for it was not to angels God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking it has been testified somewhere now he quotes from the Psalms what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little, for a little while, lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. This is a prophetic Psalm, and it's a Psalm that is pointing to Jesus. And you go, well, what, what does that mean? He was made uh, for a little while lower than the angels. Well, he became a man. God became man. And in his humanity, he seemed to be lower than the angels, but just for a little while, so that, we're going to see in a minute, he would offer the sacrifice for our sins. And so he had to become fully man, and we'll see in a minute why. But, but so it was for a little while. And then, of course, um, he was crowned with glory and honor after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus putting everything in subjection under his feet. You see where we're going now with this concept of control. And here we, I love this verse. If you want to underline things in your Bible, I underline a lot in my Bible. And so verse eight, he says, again, reminder, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, to Jesus, he left nothing outside his control. God left nothing outside his control. Nothing. Jesus is is, is in control of what, you might say today. Uh, everything. 
what does that include? Everything includes everything. That includes big things and small things. That includes your problems that you know there will never be a solution for if you had to find a solution to the little nuisances of your life. Everything means all of it. There's not a thing that's not included. He says he left what outside of his control? Nothing. Everything is under his control. Nothing is out of his control. So what is it that you're facing today right now? What is your problem that is shaking you? I have a list of them. I have a list of them. I'm not joking. I started my day writing a list of my problems and some have been expected, some are unexpected. I can create a problem out of nothing. Okay, you're right. I mean, we talk about creator God. He gives us gifts. My ability, my gift is that I can create a problem out of anything. My mom is on here. She can attest to that. I can create a problem out of flat hair. I can create a problem out of you, a little wind in Chicago. It's like if there is a problem, Lena has called it already. Every one of those problems is under the control of Jesus. Think about that. What is your problem today? So we're talking about, I am confident because he's in control. Here's verse number one. Because he is greater than the angels, he is in control over everything. Irina, you can put that up there on the board. Uh, Because Jesus is greater than the angels. That's been the whole premise of chapter one. Well, what does that mean? Well, because he's greater than them, he's in control over everything. There's nothing in your life right now, not your health, not your finances, not your jobs, not your ministries, not your friendships, not your marriage, not your children, not your relationships. That is not, that is outside of the control of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we're told here. Now, if you were a Jewish believer back in AD 65, when this was written and you were being persecuted because you put your faith in this person, you're now being reminded this isn't just not a human. Jesus is, he was made man, so he was human, but he's God. He's all God, all man. I know, I know it's hard to explain the incarnation, but this is a fact. And we know it's a fact because he died and he rose again. And the things that he did, only God could do. And, and besides the prophecies of the Old Testament, oh no, but if you were struggling and being persecuted for your faith, and now you're being reminded you are not crazy. You can be confident. Why? Because Jesus is better than the angels because he is in control. And and I love how the Holy Spirit writes through the writer of the Hebrews now and putting everything. If we don't get anything else said in this lesson, this is a verse that you can hang your hat on. God, Jesus Christ is is in control over everything. There is nothing outside of his control. He is in control over big things and small. He's in control even when you can't see it clearly. He is in control even when you cannot feel his presence. Sometimes we accuse God. God, I I don't even see you. I don't feel you. Therefore, you must not be working. That is a lie. He's at work even if you don't see him. We're like toddlers who are messing with our little project going, I don't know what my parents are doing. They're not here. They don't know what's going on. Meanwhile, your parents are upstairs watching you with a camera, right? Or you've got the 360 on your phone spying on your teenage kids because you want everything under your control. Listen, even in those windows where the internet breaks, God is in control over your teenagers. That's good news for us if you're shaken because of the problems in your life. He is in control even when I'm too proud to ask it. Just because I don't ask him for help doesn't mean he's lost control. He's still in control. He is in control even when I don't realize I need him or even when I don't think I deserve it. Sometimes we act as if if I had a good day, then God is in control and he's going to help me. God helps us regardless. He's in control regardless. Why? Because we're told that he puts everything because of who he is, because he's the son of God. And we went over that in chapter one. 
God has put him where everything is in subjection to him. There's nothing outside his control. This is awesome news for us if you know Jesus as your savior. It goes on to say, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And if you are living and maybe you work, with, like I spent my, the bulk of my career as a doctor being a pediatric ER doctor, and I've heard atrocities, I, I, literally stories that will make your hair raise. Now I do work with Syrian refugees on a regular basis and with the Lebanese people, but particularly in the refugee community, the stories we hear of domestic violence and abuse of women and children and, and kids getting married and on and on. And the atrocities are horrific. Besides that, if you spent any time in South Florida, I was there this week checking on the car. Remember my car got totaled in the flood. It, it, we, it's nothing compared to what we saw happen to many people in the Fort Myers area. I, I read some of the stories in the New York Times, it was up on my Instagram. The stories are harrowing of older people who've lost everything. They don't know where to start. It doesn't seem in those instances that God is in control. I've been haunted by that thought. Why didn't God turn the hurricane away just a little? But just because it looks like he's not in control doesn't mean he's not in control. There's a reason for everything that is happening. And the more you understand that, as you see this, this arc of, of proof, Jesus is better than the angels. Therefore, even if it looks, and this is what he goes on to say here, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of what? Because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus came, stepped into God, humbled himself, became man, stepped into a broken world, broken by the fall. Back in Genesis, we hear the story of the fall. Broken by the fall, God humbled himself, decided to put himself in this mess. Even though he was above this mess, it was, he didn't cause this mess. He, he, it, it was part of the big salvation redemption story, but still he humbles himself enough to come and live as a human in it. Why? Because he knew that there was only one way out of the mess. And it was by paying the price for our sins, the sin that were brought upon us by our great, 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 great forefather, Adam and Eve. And so Jesus, God become man was the only way for that price to be paid so that we could have peace with him. So that someday now we look forward to the eventual rule of Christ over a renewed, eventually renewed world. That's the story of the gospel, basically. And so, and so, so he's telling us that, that even if it doesn't look under control, there's a, there's a, the reason in all this, it's only for a little while because this is why Jesus had to come and die and says, verse 10, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, founder of our salvation, perfect through suffering. You might be going, well, what does that mean? Is, does that mean he wasn't perfect and now he became perfect because he suffered? I like this um, uh, kind of uh, angle that uh, John Piper wrote in one of the commentaries on this. He says, Jesus moved, what, what that means when he talks about being, being made perfect through obedience. It doesn't mean that he was not obedient at what time and now he was. No, it means Jesus moved from untested obedience into suffering and then through suffering, he moved into tested and proven obedience. So before it was, he was obedient, but it was untested. And then he moves into suffering. So God uses suffering to allow his son to prove, to, 
to, to prove his obedience despite the suffering. And so in doing that, he becomes, uh, what we're told here is the founder of our salvation, the word in uh, Greek, and I haven't studied Greek, but that this comes up enough when you're reading the commentaries here is archegos, and uh, I'm sure the pronunciation is wrong, but, but forgive me, but what that means, that, that he's the captain of our salvation, the meaning is that of pioneer, because he went ahead of us, what a pioneer does, he makes a way. He, he goes ahead. It's like someone who finds a city and then people move into the city. Someone who makes a way and you move into it. And so Jesus made a way for us into this life that was made perfect through suffering, right? So that we can now, and it goes on now to say, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist. Remember again, everything under his control, nothing outside of his control. And we're told that everything that was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. And then he goes on to say, by the way, a small observation here. Uh, well, let me read a little more. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in them. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver... Uh, all those who through fear of death uh, were subject to lifelong slavery. You know, people who fear death. I know a lot of people who fear death. People don't like to talk about that. They don't like to think that's going to happen to somebody else somewhere else. But before you know it, you're 50 or 70 or 90 and you're facing death if you have that long to live. But we don't like to think about it. Why? Because there's an innate fear of death. And even the boldest of us who I'm not afraid to that, even Christians at the end of their life, you hear about people who are firmly believing in Christ. And yet when it comes to those last moments, there's a fear of what happens after. And yet God has given us the victory over fear of death. Why? Because he destroyed death through the cross. So he delivers us all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Slavery to what? Slavery to ourselves, slavery to sin, slavery to our desires, slavery to everything that does not satisfy us. Think about what is it that you're a slave to right now? Are you, are you still in your sin? Or have you given your life to Christ, but you are so ruled by the things that make you afraid? The whole lesson is on control. And we are people who want to control everything. And the more we want to control everything, the more we freak out when it's not in control. And when you freak out when it's not in control, usually we're slaves to something. Maybe we're slaves to money. We need money in order to find stability. Maybe you're slaves to love. You need love in order to find stability. Maybe That's why so many people waste their life on porn and all the other stuff. Why? Because they're slaves to that. Even in Christ, we can go back into a way of slavery. Why? Because we get sucked into our fear. And this chapter is a reminder that we don't have to be afraid because we have a God who is in control and who has defeated death. So the second big point here, the first was because he is greater than the angels, he is in control over everything. The second one, you're talking about being confident. The second one is because he conquered death and the grave, he is in control over fear and death. Because he conquered death and the grave, he is in control over fear and death. Let me just read you a little bit more as I finish the chapter, and then I'll sort of wrap up with some of those other, a couple other points I have, and I want to expound on that a little. It says, for surely, verse 16, it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Guess who that is? 
Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. That's you. That's me. We're the offspring of Abraham. He helps us. That is what he does. That's what he wants. Therefore, he had, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And guess who those people are? You and me, we're being tempted day by day. We're being tempted by sin. We're being tempted by our fears. We're being tempted by our humanity. All the things that make us broken and, and run away from God and try to do the things that we think will make us happy when all along Jesus is like, man, I've been there. Now he can say that. So, so let, me, let me first focus on because he conquered death and the grave, he's in control over fear and death. A few words that showed up here, by the way, propitiation. You go, what, what is that? You know, the whole point of Jesus going to the cross was to, was to serve justice. We are sinners. We deserve death. We deserve it. We're born condemned already. All Jesus did was pay the price for our sin. Today, I was on a podcast, and the guy at the end of the interview, it's funny, no one has asked me that before. It wasn't a question. He goes, at the end, he goes, you have three or four minutes. Tell us about Jesus. Who is he? For somebody who's watching who's never, it was a video thing, a Zoom podcast thing, I don't know. And, and he was like, just tell us about Jesus. And it's just like, when you kind of think about it, you go, three minutes, I got to tell about Jesus. And I forgot, sort of, uh, once in my old church, uh, which I've written about my old church, learned a lot of great things in that old church, by the way. And by the way, a great series in Hebrews at the time. I was listening to some of those messages again and, and just was reminded of the depth of teaching in those years of, of, of it being so healthy. And, and, but one of the ways that, that that pastor had said, hey, if you want to sum up the gospel in like a handful of words, five or six words, Jesus in my place, four words, Jesus in my place, right? That's four words, Jesus in my place. So Jesus dies in my place so that I can be free from the burden of my sin. Justice is served then. Then if you receive that gift of salvation, you now stand free before God. That's salvation. So what is propitiation? Propitiation is, is what takes away, it is the act of taking away God's anger towards us because of our sin. Now there's a lot of modern day progressive Christians that say, man, there's nothing, God is love, he doesn't have anger. God isn't angry at humans, he's, but he hates sin. So he's angry at sin. And so if we're born in sin, that, that sin, because God is holy, deserves judgment. And so propitiation is the means by which Jesus paid the price for our sin so that the anger of God is averted from us and we can enjoy a loving, graceful, grace-filled relationship with him. Not based on our merit or our works. And listen, even after salvation, you and I know we still sin, right? I mean, you, I know I sin. I've got two members of my family watching this video. They can tell you I sin, but my salvation is not based on my works. It's based on the paid price of my sin on the cross of Jesus, who we're told in Hebrews 2, died to make a propitiation for the sins of the people. Anyone who receives Christ, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Do you know Jesus? Is, has Jesus, have you embraced his death on the cross as payment for your sin? If you have, it changes everything because you see the price that was paid and, and what God promises is that in Christ, you give him your sin and he gives you his righteousness. I believe that's in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. First or 2 Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5.21. You can look it up. But, but it's a great reminder that, that when that interaction happens, what happens the rest of our life, because now how do you deal now? What about the sin? As a Christian, I sin. People in my life know I sin. I'm not proud of it. I want to defeat it, but it still happens. And, and, and so the entire process of growing into holiness and less sin, more godliness is called sanctification. And as you read this Hebrews 2, I don't know if you picked up 
stop on it back in verse 10. It was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And he goes, for he who sanctifies, there's that word, and those who are sanctified all have one source. That sanctification is this process of growing into godliness. And so we're, we're seeing now this thread of story, Jesus bigger, to, greater than the angels. He's over everything in control. It might look for a minute that he's not, but he is. And we know it because he died and defeated death. And so because he conquered death and the grave, he's in control over our fear of death, over our sin and slavery. And so through his death, he destroyed the power of Satan and death. Through his death, he became a substitute for our sin. Through his death, he delivers us from fear of death. And by the way, by death, I don't just mean when you die. By death, I mean everything that brings us death. Death to our souls, death to our minds. Through his death, he makes propitiation for our sins. And through his death, his death we now become brothers and sisters of Jesus. I, I started talking about that. I'm going to go back to that. Again, another interesting observation. Uh, when, you, when you see Jesus talk about the disciples and God, the language of God and Christ towards humans is like Jesus talks about the disciples being his friends and he just talks about them being his followers and he calls them to be his disciples. All these terms are used, but the first time Jesus calls his disciples uh, brothers is in John chapter 20 after the resurrection. And, and it's interesting because you'll read a lot of thoughts on that and, and how the reason is that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, became the firstborn of God. In Hebrews, I believe, it's also used in chapter 1, that sentence, he's the firstborn of God. There are other places in the New Testament where God talks about Jesus as the firstborn. And so be that happened through the death and the resurrection. And now he, he's the firstborn and he resurrects. And now, after the resurrection, he tells Mary in the garden, go and tell my brothers. And so here we see this language of brothers. We... Even though Jesus is the firstborn, we are his brothers and sisters in Christ. We're also, there's a lot of angles. There's master servant, there's friend, there's, uh, there's uh, a disciple, follower. There's all of these relationships, you know, layers to it, but we're also brothers and sisters in Christ. So when you go back and read chapter two, sort of that picture of Christ has become the firstborn of God because of the death and resurrection of Christ. And now he calls us brothers and sisters and and, and, and we have a right of adoption. John chapter 1 verse 12 talks about we're given the right of adoption. Well, as an adoptee of the family of God, you have God, your father, you've got Jesus, your brother, uh, the eldest brother. And then you've got, of course, the family of God, the brothers and sisters in Christ. And I grew up in a church. People used to call each other sister this. And it sounds a little hokey. I get it in 2022. I mean, we're all, you know, weirded out by something that sounds a little too foreign to us. But there's still, in Lebanon, people use that term a lot more than we do here in the States. And it doesn't sound as weird. I think maybe they haven't gotten to our level of sophistication. I say that quote unquote, but they use that term a lot, but, but that's what we are. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're brother and sister in Christ. We don't have to use a hokey term if you think it's hokey, but that's a fact. There is a depth of relationship that must be present among followers of Jesus that anyone who follows Jesus can understand to be unique. That's why when you travel, I've been to China, I don't speak a word of Chinese. I learned one word, ni hao ma. That's it, I don't even think I say it right. But I went to speak at a conference there, I met, hundreds of Chinese women. And immediately there was a sense of sisterhood and connection. Why? Because we're sisters in Christ. There's a commonality. I go to Lebanon. I work with Syrian refugees. I come to the United States. I go, wherever you are, you meet people and you're like, man, I, I could tell there's something about them. There's a family thread 
All right, so, so a couple of points here to, to wrap up on what we've read. So we can be confident. This whole point of this teaching today is that you can be confident because he's in control. He's greater than the angels. He's control over everything. He conquered death. That means he's control over fear and death. Number three, because he suffered temptation and overcame it. Jesus didn't just suffer temptation. He overcame it. Matthew chapter four, go read about it. Throughout his life, he overcame temptation, but he was hit incredibly hard after 40 days of not eating. And Satan came at him with three different temptations and he suffered and overcame. Because he suffered temptation and overcame it, he is in control over my suffering and temptation too. This is good news for us who constantly struggle with the flesh, but not just temptation and the flesh, trials in general. You don't expect bad things to happen. I didn't expect, I didn't think the, the storm was going to hit Marco where we go, at, you know, to spend, where my mom spends winters and we spend time there with her. I didn't expect that, but it happened. And so problems happen. That's a trial. That's not a temptation. I mean, not like we think of temptation as something that lures us. It was a, it was a trial. It's a trial I didn't expect. And, and, and there's such a sense of defeat when it happens. You get frustrated, your worry goes up, your anger, all of the things. Why? Because it's, it's tough. And yet Jesus showed us because he's, remember, he's the captain of our salvation. He goes before us. He shows us a way. He shows us a purpose of suffering. We, we learn a lot by looking at Jesus' temptation as to how we can react, how God uses it to strengthen us. And, and we see how because he went before us and overcame temptation, he can help us and he can remind us of the purpose in suffering. He makes, uh, he makes us perfect through suffering by sanctifying us. Trial after trial, we become more mature, or it should be. He gives us power over temptation because our captain of our salvation has defeated. We know that we have the same power in us because Christ is in us. We just, most of us are living oblivious to that. We're too busy. I don't know what, with what, with worries. We're too preoccupied with the things of the world. If we could just tune in to this truth. That's why Hebrews was written, because the people he was writing to were like us. They were living in a difficult world, facing temptations, struggling with saying, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. He said, you must be strong because of this Jesus who went before us and made a way and showed us how to suffer and tempt and be tempted. And he overcame it and he gives us that victory by overruling death and Satan. And so he models for us what it looks like to be victorious. You look at Jesus and see this, the security. Sometimes it's easy to look at Jesus and be like, well, he was Jesus. Like, of course, he's going to overcome that. But me, if you put me in the wilderness and don't feed me for like four hours, I might go for that piece of bread, right? I mean, I, I get it. But God has made a way for us to live higher. And I don't know about you. Like, we can laugh about it at first and... This is kind of funny. Like, I really would probably last four hours, maybe eight, but not much more, right? <laughs> but, 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 but we've been called to a higher road. And, and after you fail so many times in an area of sin and trial, you get sick of yourself. And the more you walk with Christ, the more you get sick of yourself. And sometimes you get so sick of yourself that you stop thinking about it. You become like, you, you stop listening to the Holy Spirit convicting you because it's too much. And so you just go, well, until heaven, I'll just deal with it later. But, but, but it's a miserable existence for the Christian. Why? Because we have a savior who has given us the power to live victoriously. And we're always going to feel dissonance when we're living like the world. God is holy. And because he's holy, he's given us a way to overcome our sins. He's given us a way to live purely before him and to have this rejoicing, knowing that we can be like him. Last point that I'm done. Because he has experienced all that I'm experiencing, 
I can run to him when my life feels out of control. We talked about the propitiation. We talked about him overcoming death. We talked about overcoming temptation. We've talked about him being in control over everything. But the punchline, the, the, the therefore, in a sense, is that because he has experienced all, not just, not just he showed us how, but he felt the very things that we feel. He, we're told in, here at the end that, that he became a merciful and faithful high priest. Remember the high priest? position and his role was to was to offer the atonement for sins every year we'll get into that a little bit more in the weeks to come don't worry but 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 jesus became that perfect high priest to make a way for us to the father and because he lived the life that we lived he not just became any savior but a merciful think about it merciful is giving us what we don't deserve how often do you look at your life and go man i know i don't deserve this goodness because i know who i am and God's like, I know who you are too, but I also know that you're forgiven. I also know that Christ's righteousness is, you're robed with righteousness. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're told what the, what the armor of the Christian is, and we're robed with righteousness. Some of us are like, man, I don't remember the last time I felt righteous. You are still robed in righteousness. And, and sometimes my nephew shows up in a bad outfit, and he doesn't even look like himself. But he's still Sam Sahakian. Today, he had the best outfit on. He looked so cute. I kept his hair cut. And I'm like, man, he looks so handsome. What happened? And my sister said, we should have seen him this morning. He was wearing this other outfit. And, and sometimes we forget what robe we have on. And it's hard to decipher who the Christian is because we sort of leave our robe of righteousness or we think we do or we forget that it's on. And so, and so he's a merciful and faithful high priest. So because he has experienced all that I'm experiencing, if you're lonely tonight, he's been there. If you're afraid tonight, he's been there. If you're worried tonight, he's been there. If you're tempted with lust tonight, he's been there. Now, he, he, was, he never fell. He never sinned. And because of that, we can have that confidence. But he feels, he understands, he sees, he knows what you're going through. That is unbelievably encouraging. He's not only in control, but he experienced the very things need. You feel need, financial need. He's, yeah, remember, they came and asked him for the taxes. They didn't have any money. Of course, he opened the fish and got the coin, but, but he understands that. Your rights have been taken up. Boy, he's been there. You've been spit on, laughed at, ridiculed, persecuted. He's been there. Everything you and I will ever go through, Christ has been there, and yet without sin. And so because of that, we can run to him when, we, when our life feels out of control. Do you feel out of control? It, does, your, does your life feel out of control? Does it feel like you can't, you can't just... You don't even know where to start sometimes. Like, you can't breathe because of the problems that seem to be accumulating. You can't control your spouse. You can't control your kids. You can't control the government. You cannot control your boss. Jesus is in control. And you can run to him because he's a faithful and merciful high priest who calls you brother, sister. He understands the pressure you're going through. He sympathizes with you when the pressure is great. He sees you. He knows you. He knows all about your troubles. He has been where you've been and knows exactly what you're going through. If that isn't good news for us today, if that isn't a call to persevere, you can be confident because Jesus is in control. Do you believe that tonight? And if you do, how is it changing your life? I don't know about you, but one of the ways that we can practice that is to pray. Prayer is how we can unleash our burdens to God. Prayer is how we can connect with the Almighty and tell Him that we believe who He is. Tell Him that even when we can't see it, even when it feels out of control, we trust Him. Well, I hope you enjoyed this teaching. 
I love the book of Hebrews. I'm not joking. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible, and I think you're going to love this series. I more than anything hope that it will build up your faith in God who never disappoints. He's always faithful, always true. Hey, don't forget to check out livingwithbower.org. Subscribe to the podcast if you're not on it already. Leave us a review if you haven't done it in a while. But more than anything, check out the new book. Don't tell anyone you're reading this. It is going to bless you and encourage you, but it's also going to help you find out a lot more about me. So uh, maybe more than you wanted to know. So go ahead and hit the drlinabook.com page. Uh, Start reading it now. You can get the first couple of chapters free and come back next week. And now go be with God who is already with you. Love you guys. See you next week.